You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barron. I have one goal, to bring you great thinking to help you create a better practice and a better life. This one is a little edgy, and so I'm just going to prepare you for the drive. This topic is a tough one, embezzlement. No one ever wants to go through it. It has big unintended circumstances, things you don't account for. And my hope is you never experience it. And so today I have my good friend, David Harrison, who is just awesome. The guy is brilliant. And he's going to give us some things to consider. And today he shares what most people get wrong about embezzlement. It is awesome. He also gives you a treatment plan of how you can never or at least reduce the chances of experiencing this in your future. So I'm going to encourage you to listen to this and then also do his risk assessment at the end. It'll prepare you for a happier practice life and a better outcome. So check it out. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We'll see you soon. Welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barron, and our goal, as always, is to bring you great information to help you create a better practice and a better life. And if you own your own practice, you know one of the worst words you can ever hear is the word embezzlement. It not only destroys trust, it destroys your bank account, and it destroys your confidence. And so, I don't ever want that to happen to you, but the truth of it is, it does happen. And so today, I have my good friend, David Harrison, who is awesome. Now, I'm going to tell you, I love this guy for so many reasons, because he bends my brain. And David, you just have an incredible service that you offer not only to our clients, but the listeners of the show. It's just to help them think better when these unfortunate things happen. And today, we're going to be talking about things that people get wrong when it comes to embezzlement. And I told you before we go, all right, we're not, we're just going to roll because I have a bunch of things that I've gotten wrong on this. And so David, thanks for being on brother. It is great to be with you always. Uh, one of my best friends in dentistry and I just am uh, thrilled to death to have a, have a chance to hang out with you again. 
Hey, well, pleasure's all mine. And if you guys are listening, you're going to see this guy's wicked smart. He's wicked smart. So, David, um, as always, I always like to start here because we have a lot of young listeners, new listeners, and I want them to know who David Harris is. So who are you? What do you do? Well, I have one of the most fun jobs in dentistry because I get to chase and catch and sometimes throw in jail the people who steal from dentists. Um, and I started doing that about 35 years ago on my own. Uh, we now have a team of about 20 people and we deal with hundreds of practices annually mm. in that narrow little field. Wow. And um, can you speak about the reality of it? Because you have all this, you know, I mean, a couple of things, I'm going to lead you with these questions. You actually have uh, a group, a category of people that are million dollar embezzlers from dentists. And, I always screw up your statistics, but if uh, of all the dentists, how many dentists get embezzled and how many of them get embezzled the second time when they own their own practice? Yeah, the American Dental Association asked that exact question to 17,000 dentists a couple of years ago. So in 2019, they went to these dentists and they said, have you been stolen from? And Kirk, I'll give you the good news first. 53% of the respondents said, I don't think so because this question doesn't always lead itself to absolute answers. So 53% said, I don't think so. Of course, the other 47% had been stolen from. Wow. So the ADA asked them a follow-up question. Okay, how many times? And now it got a little bit interesting, 26%. So about half of those who said they'd been stolen from said once, as far as I know. 11% twice. 2% three times. And the one that really uh, made me stand up and take notice was that 8% of the respondents said four or more times. That's crazy. It is crazy. So if you do a little histogram exercise and you take 26% uh, times one and 11% times two and 2% times three and 8% times, let's assume just four, you come up with 86 embezzlements that have already happened per hundred dentists. Wow. Now, some things that we don't know here. For example, we don't know how many of the 53% who said, I haven't been stolen from, to the best of my knowledge, will get victimized in the rest of their careers. And we don't know how many of the other 47% who had been will get stolen from again. We also don't know how many people were stolen from and just didn't realize it, or how many were stolen from and did realize it and for whatever reason chose not to disclose that to the ADA. Right. Okay. So if you start with a hundred dentists, probably 75% of them will get stolen from sooner or later. So this is not a remote problem where your listeners can say, you know what? It, it may hit some dentists, but it's really remote from me. It's not. Right. Right. Now, a couple of things. I don't ever want to provoke any fear on this podcast. That's not what this is about. We want people to have a better practice and a better life. But the truth of it is, is that embezzlement, the money is just the tip of the iceberg. There's other unintended circumstances that happen to a professional when you experience embezzlement. Can you speak to that? I'd love to. You know, about seven or eight years ago, I was talking somewhere and I don't even remember where it was. And two dentists came up to me after. And they were fishing buddies. They, they were the two dentists in a fairly small town, and they'd both been embezzled. And they were just 
talking about how it felt. And the first guy said, it felt like I went away for the weekend and I came back and somebody had broken into my house and peed on my carpets and stolen my stuff. And the second guy corrected him and said, mm, that's not quite it. It's more like you go away for the weekend, you come back and your stuff's gone and your carpets are ruined. And then you're walking your dog through your neighborhood and you go, you, you pass your neighbor's house and you see a painting that used to be in your house until the weekend hanging up in their living room. In other words, this is not crime committed on you by a stranger. It's crime committed by somebody who you had a relationship with. Mm -hmm. You were uh, almost like family to. And they used the, the, the trust and the, the faith that you placed in them and leveraged it into theft. Wow. So it's a, it, it's a very personal crime. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. The money is an issue. It has to be. But in a lot of cases, it's the sense of violation. It's that thought process where you say, you know, I was at her doctor's, her daughter's wedding three months ago, and it's just starting to occur to me how much of that wedding I paid for. Mm. It's, it's that that really hurts. Wow. And so today, you know, I'll just say this. If you have an inkling of it, number one, David's a great resource just to get your systems in place. More than anything, just there's due diligence, there's checklists, there's things you can do that won't necessarily prevent it, but greatly reduce the chances of it happening. And you should check those out at his website or just reach out to him if you feel like that. And uh, number two is I want to talk about, let's go back to the topic. What do you, what are, what are some of the things that people get wrong with embezzlement? Let's just go there. What are some of the top things? The first thing is I have immunity because, and you know, if we had a live audience with us today, there'd be some people sitting like this with their arms folded and their face tight. You could probably even see them bruxing a little bit. And what it all says is, well, you know, it might be the person to my left and it might be the person to my right, but it won't be me. Right. And then they, they have some algorithm that they've constructed that, that puts them in the immune category. For example, my staff have been with me for 20 plus years. And every embezzlement has a first time. Sometimes it's a newly hired staff member who's been with you for three months. And sometimes it's your office manager of 25 years. Mm. Um, we can't control the external pressures that are exerted on somebody that make them wake up one morning and say, today's the day I'm going to steal. Right. And the backstory, Kirk, could be a lot of things. Maybe that office manager is going through a divorce and facing the reality of, you know, where they used to support one household on two incomes and now they have two households on the same incomes and a bunch of attorney bills. Um, there are external pressures like that that will push people who a month ago or a year ago wouldn't have contemplated stealing into doing it. Right. And so the first thing is there's nobody who's immune. There is some set of circumstances that would make any one of us break the law. Right. Right. And can, yeah. Can I introduce number know, two and you can, you can just say, no, you, it's you not. Be, okay. You bet. People that embezzle are just dumb. Like that would just be so dumb. These are not really smart people when you embezzle from a dentist. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good myth. Um, let's be clear. Stealing is dumb. Yes, I would agree. It's a, it's a really, so, so these people do a dumb thing. 
and it's a really bad idea and it can have disastrous consequences for them. Um, but no, they tend to be pretty smart. In fact, I, I would say that in general, uh, they're among your smarter employees. Uh, you kind of need three things to steal. You need to have some pressure, and we talked about divorce as being an example of that kind of pressure. You need to have rationalization, which is the ability to say that it's okay to do this. You know, I know that in general stealing is wrong, but it's okay in this limited circumstance because that's the rationalization. And the third thing you need is opportunity. And what I will say is that smarter people almost by definition, are better at spotting opportunity than dumber people. Mm. Uh, so I've, you know, I've, I've seen both sides of it where somebody who you think is, is almost too stupid to tie their shoes can successfully steal. And at the same time, you see some pretty creative, inventive thieves who come up with stuff that just makes you want to salute and say, wow, that, that was so smart. Yeah. That's crazy. What else? Do we, I mean, I don't know how many things are on this list, but uh, take us on this path. What else do most people get wrong about embezzlement? Uh, one of the things, and I've encountered this a, a couple of times in the past month. One thing that people often get wrong is what the response should be when they suspect embezzlement. And I, I've seen a couple of posts in Facebook groups in the in the past few months where somebody posts and says, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that my uh, office manager or my financial coordinator is stealing from me. What should I do? And the next thing that happens is 20 or 25 dentists chime in. And they all are suggesting things that, that the original poster should do. And most of them are just dead wrong. Number one answer, call the police. Hmm. Let's put this into context. It isn't the police's job to tell you what has been stolen from you. You have to tell them that. Mm. After you've told them what is stolen from you, they'll try to get it back and they'll try to make sure the law is applied. But picture the conversation on Friday night, Kirk, and you're, you're out somewhere in Milwaukee and around um, 1230, you call the police and you say, I think somebody stole my car. Mm -hmm. And they say, I'm sorry to hear that, Mr. Barron. Uh, what's the make and model? And you say, you know, I think it's a Mercedes, but it might be a Toyota. And they say, mm, okay, uh, what color is it? And you say, I don't know, some dark color. What they're going to say to you next is, okay, Mr. Barrett, here's what I want you to do. Take an Uber home, sober up, and in the morning, if you still can't find your car, call us back. And, you know, we can, we can laugh about this. Right. But conceptually, that's what people do when they call the police and say, I think I've been embezzled from. Right. The police can't help you. They, they don't have the expertise. They don't have the manpower to dump into this. And as I say, they philosophically don't think it's their job to tell you what you've lost. Right. So, you know, the call the police people are, are, are going to do a couple of things. First of all, they're gonna send the victim into a dead end. Because the victim's going to call the police, and the police are going to say, you know, we can't help you. Maybe in six months we'll have time to send a detective around to look at this. And the second thing is there's a pretty good chance that the person who's doing it gets alerted because the first thing the police are going to do is send two big police officers of either gender to the practice with loud radios and, you know, and a, and a patrol car parked outside. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a little hard to hide all that from the thief. Right. So you tip your hand, which is probably not a good idea at that juncture. And then, as I say, the police are going to say, look, we just can't help you, which the victim will often interpret as saying, well, nobody can help you. Mm-hmm. Um, what needs to happen is a proper investigation is done first. Once the investigation is done, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention that that's part of the business that we're in. Once the investigation is done, then at that point, you can go to police and say, okay, the amount stolen was $112,464.84. Here's who did it. Here's how they did it. And here's where the money went. I mean, when you, when you tell the police all that, they can work with us. Right. Until then, it's my car was stolen, and I'm not sure if it's a Mercedes or a Toyota, and there's nothing they can do about that. Yeah, that's such a great analogy because that's exactly true. We don't even know where to start. And so, you know, step one is just reach out to an expert because number one, it gives you some space to calm yourself. You, sometimes your thoughts run wild and they're, yeah. it's not true that somebody's embezzling from you. And that's why you've got to have somebody who knows what this is all about to say, listen, this is not a case for concern. This is you just not knowing where things are at in some cases. Right. Yeah, you have to understand what happened first. And from that understanding, you can start to make decisions about what to do. Um, another early conversation I have with a lot of dentists is they say to me something like, you know, I want to know what happened, but I don't want to press charges. Mm. And I say, well, a couple of things. First of all, the decision of, of pressing or not pressing charges isn't yours. That belongs to the government. Your job is to make a complaint to the police, and on that basis, and the they'll they'll gather evidence and add it to what we've already given them, and then they'll decide if there's sufficient evidence to press charges or not. Right. And in a lot of states, the next thing that happens is it goes in front of a grand jury, and it's ultimately the grand jury who decide if somebody's going to be charged with a crime. So it's not like you get to either charge somebody or not. That isn't how it works. The other thing I say to them is, you know what? This conversation's really premature in any case because you don't know yet what happened. And, you know, you if you think that $5,000 was stolen from you, you know, you might say, okay, it's not important to me that charges get pressed. But suppose when we're done, the number's 185000 Right. Do you feel differently? Right. You know, and, and if you don't, let's add another 100000 and ask the question again. Right. And, you know, a lot of times the initial conversation that I have with somebody is where they say, yeah, I don't I don't want anything to happen to the thief. I mean, I would like to get us back as much money as I can. And I certainly want them out of my practice. But, you know, they're a single mom and I, you know, I don't want them to go to prison. And seven or eight weeks later, when we're talking about how much money was really stolen, the same person who said that to me will say, throw their ass in jail. Mm. Um, once they understand the, the amount of money, but not just that, the, the cynicism, the, the way that, that they realize they've been played by the thief. Right. Now they feel very differently. So my initial conversation with Dennis is, look, keep your options open. You, have, you don't have enough information to make a decision here, and nobody's asking you to. Yeah. So let's, let's just put your analytical brain off for a minute, which is, is hard for them because they're, they're thinkers. Um, Switch, switch that part off and let us do our work and then we can come back to that. So that's another thing that people often get wrong. It's like, you know, I feel this 
compulsion right now to make a decision about what the what the future of somebody should be. Right. And there's some complexities of just letting somebody go without just cause. If you've felt like they're embezzling and you haven't called it out. And then the other thing that's a complexity that goes beyond that is a thief will often do this again somewhere else. Right. There are a whole lot of serial embezzlers out there. Um, and, and that points to a couple of things. The, the first is the, um, the benefits, not so much to the individual victim, but to society of taking decisive action. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody has stolen from you, the best thing you can do to protect your profession is make them acquire a criminal record. Because if you simply are, are happy to see their taillights going down the road and you don't, you don't do anything beyond firing them, then you're setting up somebody else in your profession to have a repeat of what just happened to you. Right. Right. And, um, yeah. And, and, I, and you're just provoking a lot of thoughts that I have or conversations every once in a while. I get an email from a dentist going, why you got to put that stuff on there? Like, you know, just talk about. And so my feedback is this, is that I'm a big fan of accountability, but I have found that the people accountability is not a trust thing. It's an accounting thing. And your favorite team members like accountability. So if you're a dentist and you're listening and you want to share a podcast about embezzling and you have a thought that, oh, this might really upset people. I would just ask you to consider this. Your favorite people love cleanliness. They love accountability. They love to be audited. You don't think so, but they do. They love for you to talk about their numbers. And you can also say, listen, this is best practices. I know this is an issue. I know this is important. As a business owner, I have to pay taxes. I have to pay, I have to follow the laws in there. And I also have to follow a lot of simple rules in running a business. And so most people, when you give them rules around money, they will respect that. True? Absolutely. I mean, the people who are upset about that, you nailed it, are the people who have something to hide. Right. Uh, one of my team who, who I know you've met named Amber Weber, um, she, she said something very profound once when she said, you know, transparency is one of the first casualties of embezzlement. Mm. People who are stealing do not want to be transparent with their doctor. Yeah. Um, the second concept I'll introduce, just, just going one step further on something you just said, is I think a lot of dentists struggle with the difference between delegation and abdication. Delegation being, I'm giving you this job to do, and you're going to have some kind of, here's your word back, accountability back to me. And abdication being, I don't ever want to hear about this issue again. And a lot of dentists abdicate when they really need to delegate. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that accountability is something that if you, if you are a conscientious staff member, you welcome because that's how you prove to your boss what a good job you're doing. That is so well said, David. And as coaches, one of the red flags that happens for us is the dentist is so excited about bringing a coach, whether it be us or anyone else. And the rest of the team is too, except for one person person. who is the office manager. Now, I don't want to throw everybody under the bus that feels like that, but a great majority of the time, they don't want anyone coming in to take a look at their role for some reason. And then when the reason gets uncovered, it's interesting, you know, when that happens. So um, I, I love the idea of transparency, vulnerability, accountability, and I love how you just defined, 
you know, delegation versus abdication. What else do people get wrong about embezzlement? Um, a lot of people think that they, there's no chance they will get any money back from this and that, you know, paying, for example, for us to investigate is simply throwing good money after bad. Mm. And the average return on investment on hiring us is about 400%. Really? Okay, wait, you have to go back to that. How? Well, really simple. First of all, every dentist has insurance coverage for employee theft. And the way that you make a claim on your insurance is you get an investigation done. You get a, you get a report from somebody like us and you give that to your insurance company. And that's the basis on which they pay you money. Okay. In other words, you can't just call your insurance company and say, somebody stole from me. And I think the number is about $25,000 and have the insurance company say, Oh, okay, we're going to send you a check. Right. You know, it's a little more um, official than that. So we are, we are the pathway, first of all, to getting that money back. And the, the typical coverage that a dentist has is not huge. It's, it's normally $25,000. Okay. But that is very low-hanging fruit. I mean, all we need to do is do an investigation, issue a report, and usually about four weeks later, the doctor's got a check from the insurance company. Mm. So everybody gets that back. Wow. Um, how much somebody gets beyond that depends on a couple of factors. One is how somebody stole. So a lot of thieves will steal a doctor's checks. They will take checks with the doctor's name on them. They'll find ways to cash them. I'm not going to get specific here for obvious reasons. Right. Uh, but when that happens, it's interesting because the doctor has a claim against the bank that allowed the check to be cashed. So one of your staff takes a check and they take it to, let's say, Wells Fargo and cash it there you have the ability to go after Wells Fargo and get that money back. Really? Okay. And the ability of the thief to pay you back is irrelevant. I mean, that's, that's between Wells Fargo and the person they let cash the check, not your problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so if somebody has stolen in that way, there's a, there's a very clear recovery. And we, you know, sometimes get six figure amounts back from a rather unhappy bank somewhere, but um, I, I, I will say I don't lose any sleep over, over a bank getting, um, called onto the carpet for not doing what they're supposed to. Right. Uh, and the final place people get money back is from thieves. So if somebody's stolen from you and you get, you, you, you get them prosecuted and they get convicted of theft, part of the sentence that they get from the judge is what's called a restitution order. So that's an order from the court for this person to pay back the victim. This is separate from a fine. I mean, a fine goes to the government, but a restitution order goes to the victim. So if somebody has equity in their house or they have money in a 401k or there's some kind of accessible wealth, that goes to pay back the victim. And if that's non-existent or insufficient, then what happens is when this person gets out of jail, 30% of their future earnings are what's called garnished and, and, and paid to the victim. So, you know, you may have lost $100,000 and you're getting back $682.54 each month, mm -hmm. which might mean you'll never get it all back because somebody would have to live for a long time. But I don't know anybody who gets those $642.84 checks who throws them in the fire. Not at all. Not at all. So one of the myths is that people just don't get their money back. And as I say, everybody gets something back. Uh, the fortunate ones get 100% of what they lost. The, you know, others will 
will get something, and whether it's 40% or 60% of what they lost depends on the circumstance. Wow. A lot to contemplate here. What else? I'm just going to keep asking what else until you tell us we're out of what else is. And I don't know if there's an end to this. So um, No, we could, we could probably run this on for a while. Um, one thing that people don't think enough about when they wake up one morning and they suddenly suspect or realize that their trusted staff members have been stealing from them. Uh, what they do next tends to be a little bit misguided. And I talked about the Facebook advice and call the police or call your attorney and uh, none of that stuff is right. But the big consideration if you are listening to this and you have that horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach is stop, drop, and think. Mm. The mistake people make is they let the suspect know that they're a suspect. So, and believe it or not, people do this. You know, they'll call their office manager in and say, I think you're stealing from me. And if I'm the office manager and I'm not stealing, you know, you've, you've antagonized me in a way we will never be able to repair. I mean, right. the, there, there's never going to be a working relationship after that if it isn't true. And if it is true, I'm expecting this conversation and I've been expecting it for months or maybe years. So I'm going to say, no, I'm not. And what does the dentist do then exactly? I don't know, but I know what the thief does is they start covering, they already have their escape plan. They've already <laughs> they been working on it. Plan, and, and their escape plan might be something a little more drastic probably than a lot of the audience would imagine. Like, for example, burn down the practice. Mm. Uh, and, and think about the difficulties in convicting somebody of theft when the evidence is all ashes. Does that happen? Yes. Um, I got a call, oh, 12 years ago probably from a dentist. We, we talked for about 15 minutes about embezzlement. At the end of it, he made it clear that, you know, if he graduated from dental school, he could certainly figure out how to investigate this himself. Right. And I don't know what he did next, but he tipped off the suspect to the fact that she was a suspect. And she came back that night with a can of gasoline and she burned down the practice. Wow. And he called me after a little wistfully and said, yeah, that was, you know, trying to, trying to not spend money on you was a bit of a false economy. Yeah was kind of the way he put it. Yeah. One other, um, yeah. One other thing I'll just throw in there and you, you and I've had lots of conversations and I hear these stories, you know, the dentist isn't really doing everything they should. And they have a team member that's working in cahoots with them. And one time the team member who they're working in cahoots goes a little bit farther than they do. And so you get a little upset with the team member that's gone a little bit farther than you and is pushing the envelope and you catch him in a big one and you go, you're done. You're going to jail. And the team member goes, oh, I'm going to jail. So are you, you know? And so two rights don't make a wrong. I don't even know if that applies here, but you understand where I'm going with this, right? Like, I, I absolutely do. If if you, the dentist, cut ethical corners, it's like handing the thief a get-out-of-jail-free card. And I'll, I'll give you a real-life example. Um, we had a dentist who was being embezzled and simultaneously was having an affair with the embezzler. Oh, my gosh. Um, and the embezzler said to me, uh, and I'll, I'll quote verbatim, 
when Dr. So-and-so is trying to decide what to do about this, he should give a little bit of thought to what a divorce will cost him. Holy moly. And you know how the story ends. She walked because there's no way that the doctor was going to uh, stare down his wife over his girlfriend. Right. Um, you know, if you're a dentist and you cheat on taxes, if you play games with insurance like walk away from co-pays, um, if you do any of those things, then and your staff see it, and typically they would, they're bulletproof and they know it. Mm-hmm. So fly right, because um, otherwise you'll just make yourself impotent as far as embezzlement goes. Yeah, that stuff always catches up to you. You just don't know when, you don't know how, but it catches up to you. You are sitting on a stick of dynamite, and sooner or later it's going to go boom. Yeah. Yeah, I do want to ask you along those lines, you know, we see and hear about insurance embezzlement, you know, and which is a little bit different than just cash embezzlement. And that's extremely complex. Some of the stories we've heard, I don't even understand them. I'm like, that is just weird. Can you speak on the, the state or nature of that? I, I'd be happy to. And again, I won't get into specifics. Right. Um, because I don't want to. I don't want to aid the embezzlement profession, right. but you know, insurance is um, this candy that sometimes people can't resist. And if I can figure out a way to get insurance, an insurance company to pay money to the practice that it really shouldn't, because if, if I steal Kirk, if I steal from the dentist, one of two things happens. Either the dentist uh, takes home less money than they otherwise would, or some supplier somewhere doesn't get paid, right? Because the money that the money that I'm extracting has to come from somewhere. Right. So the third option is, what if I can start by making the pie bigger, and then I can steal some of it, and the other variables don't have to change. So thieves start thinking about, well, how can I how can I squeeze more money out of insurance somewhere, and the danger to that, which I'm sure is obvious to the, to the audience, is that they're doing that by defrauding the insurance company in the doctor's name. Mm-hmm. So they're sending insurance claims out, you know, with the doctor's name and their NPI number on it. And the money's coming into the practice. In a lot of cases, it's deposited into a practice bank account. And then from there, something is stolen. So... When when crap decides to roll downhill, the dentists are going to find themselves living in the valley. And the insurance company is going to be coming to them and saying, Dr. Thompson, you have $138,000 of our money that you're not supposed to. Uh, we'd like it back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if if that solution isn't acceptable to you, then we'll make a complaint to your state board or we'll start a lawsuit against you or... We'll just take you off our list of authorized providers, which means that we're no longer going to pay any claims originating from your office. Wow. Your move. Yeah. Uh, and, and if an insurance company thinks they've been wronged by a dentist, I mean, they're, the, the tools in their toolbox are pretty powerful. They are. They're very powerful. So, you know, um, I have so many more questions for you. You know, one of them is, is like, have we covered most of the list in which... And also, David, I want the listeners to know, look, we're not going to leave you in this valley. We're going to give you something to think about and positively come out of this and and somewhat of a treatment plan. But what other things do people get wrong about embezzlement? 
Um, we, we've hit some highlights, and I could probably go on for days and days about uh, you know, the stuff I hear from people where I say, well, you know, it's interesting that you think that way, but it's too bad that it's dead wrong. Right. Um, you know, one of the, one of the other myths is that, uh, what thieves steal is cash. In other words, I, I talked to some dentists about this issue. And one of the first things they say to me is, well, I don't take in much cash. And clearly what's in their mind is that the only thing that thieves can steal is $20 bills. And don't take me wrong here. If I'm a thief, the thing I want to steal is cash. However, if there's not enough cash coming in, or I think that steal, you know, stealing what I want to steal from the cash that is coming in will get noticed, then I adapt. And adaptation is I can steal checks, I can steal credit card payments, and even what are called ACH deposits. ACH is automated clearinghouse, and that's when that's when an insurance company or somebody like CareCredit puts money directly into, into a doctor's bank account. Any of those things can be stolen. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, we need, to, we need to think beyond cash theft. And, and I, that's one thing that a lot of people get wrong. Um, I think the other mistake that, that dentists make, and maybe this should be my last point, is that, that their model of the thief is overly simplistic. So, for example, let's say that a doctor is um, allowing a staff member to make the bank deposit. So you have some staff member going to the bank with the money. And let's say that one day or repeatedly, the amount of money that leaves the practice is greater than the amount that arrives at the bank. Um, what a lot, the thought process of a lot of dentists is, is very much a like the Dutch boy with the finger in the dike. In other words, if only, and it usually starts with that, if only I had taken the deposit to the bank myself, that wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. And in a really narrow sense, they're right. What would not have changed, though, is the embezzler's need for money and their feeling that they were more entitled to the doctor's money than the dentist was. Uh, what's a thief feeling that way going to do? They're going to find a different way. They're going to adapt. And, you know, we've all heard how cockroaches would survive the nuclear holocaust because, you know, they're, they're genetically adaptable. Well, that's right. like thieves. And if I can't steal that way, I'm going to find a different way. Mm. And I've got lots of choices. We've, we've cataloged over 300 different embezzlement methods. So, you know, if simply lifting a, a, a couple of checks out of the deposit and cashing them myself doesn't work, I'm... I'm 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 not going to be uh, going to the food bank. Right. Wow. So that leads me to this to our listeners. Like, okay, so David, I've been listening to this, and maybe I'm on the drive to work, and 36 minutes into this, I'm I'm a little edgy today. So help me off the edge piece of it. So if I'm a young dentist, let's say I'm 32, and I I don't feel like I have an embezzlement, or maybe I do. Like, how do I prepare myself for three decades of, like, reducing the chances of this happening? Um, the, the answer comes from systems in your practice. And there's no system that will prevent embezzlement when, as I say, when somebody wakes up tomorrow morning and decides, today's the day I steal from my doctor, it's going to happen for a period of time. The really operative question is, is that period of time a week, a month, or a decade? 
if somebody steals from you and they get caught in the first month, that's not a defeat. That's an overwhelming success. The person who gets away with it for about two years, which is the average, by the way. Wow. That's a different story. So we need some systems. And the way a thief thinks about the problem is really simple. The first question they ask about a practice is, does the doctor know how much money should be in the deposit today? And do they check that? And the way I describe it is, there are people who do that, and then there's the other 85%. So if you're in that 85%, if you have no idea how much your deposit is today, and if you don't check your bank statement to see that that amount went in, the, the laziest, dumbest thief on the planet can successfully steal from you. So let's rule them out. And it doesn't mean the doctor has to do this personally, but somebody external to the practice needs to sit there with the report from practice management software and line it up against the bank deposit. Okay. Okay. There's a bookkeeper. If you don't want to do it yourself, which I totally support, uh, there's a bookkeeper for a couple of hundred dollars a month who will do that for you. Mm -hmm. So put that very basic system in place. People can still steal. But now it's a lot more challenging because now what I need to do is I need to make your software lie about how much money you took in today. Mm -hmm. And that's a little more challenging and it'll, it, it will just in a Darwinian way, it will, it will rule out probably 40% of thieves. Um, so the next step is we need to then make sure that our, what is entered into our practice management software has integrity. Yeah. And the short way to do that is, you need to look, that report that your software prints every day that you throw on your desk and you think you'll get to next week sometime. Now you actually need to look at it and you need to do it today. Right. Because that's the most likely place. If there's something going on that shouldn't be, that's the most likely place to see it. So as a young dentist, buy into those two things. I, I, I need somebody to do that math on a, on a monthly basis for me. Did my deposits line up with my software? And I need to look at my reports on a daily basis to see if there's something there that doesn't belong. Yeah. Really. And then would it, would it be fair to say like a regular just checkup or audit financially uh, in a great growing practice? It's, it's something that's a great idea. Actually, we, the, the last call I took before you and I hooked up today was exactly that. It was somebody with a decent sized practice and they said, you know, I, I don't have any huge suspicions, but I see the statistics and I don't like them. Mm -hmm. And I just want to make sure that I'm not one of those naive victims who, you know, is, is happy doing endos and, and crowns. And uh, while I'm happy doing that, somebody else at my front desk is happy stealing from me. So I, I don't want to be that guy. So they hired us to take a preventive look at their practice. It's, it's, not, it's, it's done invisibly. The staff won't know that it's happening takes about eight weeks and at the end they'll sleep better one way or the other. Right. If stealing is going on, it's, it's kind of like when you find out you have cancer and you, you, you go get the tissue removed and you, you go on with your life. Yeah. And if nothing's going on, then you know, nothing's going on and um, you can focus on other things. Yeah. So David, I'm so grateful that uh, you are just an awesome resource for us. But any last thoughts? I want uh, I want people to check out your checklist too. You have an awesome, and I actually have a copy of it. 
just something to read. And I don't know if you've updated or changed it, but just some things that you can just look through and say, hey, look, does any of this apply to my practice? They create, it just, they're just good questions. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. First of all, my door is open, Kirk, to any of your audience who want to call me and talk to me for 20 minutes or half an hour about their practice and tell them what's going on. And I can, I can give my impressions or if they have specific concerns, I'm, I'm happy to help the doctor work through those. So doors open anytime to any listener. And my job really is, is to uh, spend the day on the phone with dentists and sometimes talk them off the ledge and sometimes say, you know what, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Uh, what Kirk mentioned a minute ago is called the embezzlement risk assessment questionnaire. And this is, a, this is something we sell on our website, but um, I'm, I'm always happy to uh, share things with Kirk's audience and I'll do it right now. If you want that questionnaire for free, uh, all you have to do is, is email us or contact us through our website and we'll send it to you. It takes about 15 minutes to complete. You get a score at the end. It's, it's scored out of 100, so 100 is perfect, and 40 you don't call your mom to brag about. And it will give you a really good idea of the risk that your practice faces. Mm-hmm. And if your risk is high, then we have the conversation about mitigation. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say, if you're listening, a good thing to do is just to use his risk assessment annually and just take a look at your score. And uh, David, you're so kind, and I know you've done this for many of our clients, just have a conversation and do exact, exactly just that. Just calm them down and say, okay, a couple things to look at are this. Yep. You know. Absolutely. So, buddy, I'm so grateful that you are on here, and I'm going to keep having you back as we um, just – Again, the whole purpose of this is not to create fear or lower trust. It's just to proactively be in front of things. And if you forget nothing, remember this, your favorite team members will love some transparency, you know, some accountability and some checklists to keep the business healthy. So let's just, uh, let's finish on that. But uh, stick around, David, while I say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show podcast. If you enjoyed today, which I hope you did, and I know you did, and if you listen this long, do us a favor, just hit the share button and uh, keep sending us suggestions for things that you guys want to see. You're going to see I have an amazing lineup uh, in front of us. And uh, as always, use this stuff positively. Keep showing up. We'll keep bringing you great information to help you create a better practice in a better life. And until we see you next time, keep watching the best practices show. You guys have a great day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.